Hello, I'm Jason Herderich, and I'm the host of Discomfort Zone, a new podcast on the Invisible Not Broken Network. I'm excited to be joining Monica and Eva here. I'm going to be releasing some of my early episodes over the next few weeks, so I hope you enjoy, and you can find Discomfort Zone wherever you listen to podcasts or on invisiblenotbroken.com. I'm Jason Herderick, and this is Discomfort Zone. Today, I'm doing something a little different. Instead of telling my own story, I'm interviewing a special guest. Let's welcome her in. I am excited to be joined today by Karina Sturm, chronic illness advocate, journalist, filmmaker, and a personal friend of mine. Karina was born and raised in Germany and moved to the United States in 2014. She lives with a rare connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS, along with other comorbid conditions. Prior to developing chronic illness, Karina worked as a laboratory technician in a German research facility. With her medical knowledge and lived experience with chronic illness, she has published articles on medicine, chronic illness, and disability from a patient's perspective. She has been a contributor for The Mighty, Columbia Journalism Review, Ability Magazine, among others. Today, Karina is joining me to chat about her award-winning documentary on Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, We Are Visible. Karina, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So Karina, when did your symptoms first start presenting themselves? Oh, I think I had the first acute neurological issues uh, related to my cervical spine instability in 2010. But I kind of had always some sort of issues. So, for example, as a child, I would have like super severe nosebleeds. Um, I always had pain, but pretty much every doctor brushed that off as growing pains. Um, and that just increased over the years. But I didn't really know that that wasn't normal, so didn't know there was anything wrong. And when were you diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? So I was diagnosed in 2014 after I went through four years of physical therapy and all sorts of conservative treatments, and they didn't really help. So in fact, after my neck became unstable, a lot of other joints did too. Um, we didn't really know what was going on. Um, most of the doctors in Germany um, doubted me or belittled me, um, dismissed my symptoms. So after four years, I decided I would fly to the US to try a um, experimental treatment. And I had 10 of those sessions and they failed. But that doctor didn't really give up on me. Um, he thought there was an underlying condition that caused all these problems. So he sent me to an expert who was a neurosurgeon and that guy diagnosed me with EDS, mast cell activation, dysautonomia and a couple of other conditions. Um, and I later found out that he's actually one of a few experts that know about EDS. So that was a really nice coincidence. Can you give the listeners a bit of background on Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? So the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes are a group of rare connective tissue disorders that pretty much affect the whole body, um, but the main characteristic is hypermobility, um, meaning hypermobile joints, and some sort of skin involvement. Um, they also come with lots of other conditions, comorbid conditions like mast cell activation, dysautonomia, chronic pain, and like 
a lot of others. Um, there are currently 13 official EDS types, but there was a 14th one that has been found right after. Um, and the most common type is the hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And all of these types have a known genetic cause besides the hypermobile EDS. So that can only be diagnosed with strict um, clinical criteria. And how common is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome? So that's debatable. Um, it is believed that most of the types are rare. Um, so they appear in one in 5,000 or even fewer people. But there was a study that suggested that the hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome might be as common as 1 in 500, but that hasn't been confirmed as far as I know. And how has your illness impacted your life? So my illness has impacted pretty much every part of my life. Um, not so much today because I adapted to my limitations and I kind of work around them, but back then, when this started in 2010, I thought my life was over. Um, I just moved into my first apartment and had my first real job, and I was doing, I was very active, was playing lots of volleyball, and then from one second to another, this all was gone. So I felt completely lost. I didn't really know who I was anymore or what to do with my life anymore. But then over time, I started to accept my chronic conditions. I found new passions and new hobbies. And I think today I live a pretty happy life. So you had been a laboratory technician prior to the progression of your symptoms. But then afterward, you transitioned into journalism. Could you talk about how you made that transition? Yeah, sure. So that transition came kind of naturally um, after... I had to give up my job in the lab. I um, started to write a lot and writing was like more than just a hobby. It was like my most important coping mechanism. Um, and then at some point I used like my medical background to write um, lots of medical articles about Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and about other things. And this just developed further. And in 2018, I applied for a journalism program and I got in. Can you tell us about your film, We Are Visible? Yes, so We Are Visible is part of my master's thesis, um, and the focus was on how to improve reporting on disability. Um, we Are Visible focuses or highlights the challenges people with invisible disabilities or invisible conditions face every day, um, specifically in the context of people living with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, I filmed people all around the world in uh, six countries. So I filmed in the US, in Germany, in Malta, the Netherlands, Belgium, and the UK to kind of like show um, a wide spectrum of how EDS affects people. And what went into making it? Um, pretty much everything I had, I guess. Um, <laughs> like it was physically, emotionally, financially... Um, I put everything in. Um, I used my disability benefits um, to fund this whole film and yeah, went beyond any physical limitation to make it. What were the biggest challenges that you faced? So there were really a lot of challenges. I mean, for once, I had a very strict timeline, so it was pretty tough to travel to six countries. 
I also didn't have a crew, so I did all the like the whole process of filming, editing, and post-production myself, which took a lot of time, um, specifically because this is my first feature-length film, so everything took forever. Um, then all the physical limitations, um, and then obviously if you film, or if you're disabled yourself, and then you film people who are chronically ill and disabled, that comes with a lot of challenges as well. How did you work around the limitations of your illness? Honestly, I didn't. Um, I just pushed through. Um, usually, so I'm a very stubborn person that if she wants to do something, she just finds a way to do that. Uh, so I just accepted that some of my actions might have negative consequences on my health. So sometimes I wasn't able to eat anything for days because I just felt so bad and my GI symptoms were flaring up. Um, other times I had to rest for weeks after a shoot just because I kind of pushed myself too far. Um, but that was part of the process and I don't really regret that. How does access to healthcare differ in the various countries you traveled to in making this film? I can't really say much about all countries since I only spent like three days or four days in each one of those, but I did experience the healthcare system in the US and in Germany. So Germany, like most or many other European countries, has a socialized health system. So you pretty much can get a diagnostic test treatments without paying any co-payments. So it's very affordable. But that gets a little more complicated if you have a rare condition because then some treatments um, just aren't covered, but it's still more affordable than in the US. Um, in the US, on the other hand, you have, um, because the country is a lot bigger, you have more experts. Um, you just, if you live in Germany, it's very hard to find an expert for all the comorbid conditions, like for example, cervical spine instabilities. If you need a neurosurgeon, um, they're just is none um, versus in the US you have at least the option to see um, an expert but that's very expensive because lots of things aren't covered and if you don't have a lot of money which most disabled people don't then you probably can't afford a good health insurance uh, and then you also don't have access to experts because you can't pay for them. So you were in a unique position being someone who lived with a disability that you were filming a documentary on. Did that have an impact on your relationships with the families you were working with? So I think it made a huge difference um, to have EDS myself because all the people in the film knew that I know what I am talking about and that I would represent them in an accurate way. I always say that Disabled journalists should report on disability because we just have this unique insight and experience ourselves, And that usually makes the people we report on, um, it makes it easier for them to trust us that we won't get it wrong. What was the most surprising thing you discovered while making your film? I think what surprised me the most were um, those child abuse allegations that pretty much all the moms in my film faced, no matter in which country they lived. Um, they all went through some sort of child abuse allegations just because doctors didn't quite know 
um, the symptoms of EDS. So they misinterpreted the children's symptoms as being abused by parents. Um, that was the most severe um, in the UK where I filmed Jojo, who is a mom of five and she repeatedly goes through these allegations, which hasn't stopped over a decade. Um, so that was like really shocking, um, especially because I don't have children, so I wasn't aware of that problem at all. And what impact did those allegations have on the mothers? Um, so you will see that in the film when we talk about um, Churchill's story, but it like impacted her life a lot. Um, she is pretty traumatized. Um, she often can't sleep. Her heart races. And it's like this never-ending fear of every time you go into a hospital, you have to face those allegations again. Um, and it's like influencing pretty much every part of her life, I would say. So in your film, you documented individuals from five-year-olds to a 60-year-old across six different countries. Did you notice any differences in how people from different walks of life talk about chronic illness and disability? Not so much, because they all kind of made the same experiences due to EDS. Um, of course, like the smaller children did talk a little different about their issues than an adult. But I feel like um, those challenges we face aren't unique to people with EDS or to age. It's like transferable to pretty much every invisible condition. So they all went through kind of the same thing. One of the focuses of your film was how people living with invisible illnesses often have their symptoms downplayed or dismissed altogether by others, including family, friends, strangers, and medical professionals. What impact have you found that this has on an individual? I think being belittled and doubted all the time is just extremely traumatizing. Um, speaking from my own experience, um, if especially the people around you, the people you love, don't trust in your ability to feel what's wrong with your body, it kind of takes away to some point the trust in yourself. So um, there was a point when I didn't know if I might just really be imagining things and if this is all in my head. Um, I completely lost any sort of trust in myself, which which was probably the biggest consequence. Um, there is a study that says that if people are doubted and belittled all the time, at some point they just stop seeing medical professionals. So they'd rather risk their health than actually seeing a doctor again who might belittle them. So the consequences of like being belittled, being misdiagnosed all the time are quite huge, like emotionally and physically. How can listeners of this podcast access your film? Um, right now, unfortunately, due to uh, the whole pandemic, um, the, all the events where the film would have been screened are postponed. But I hope that once um, the coronavirus situation is over, then all those events still can happen. And if those events are over, then the film will be on a streaming platform accessible for everyone. Yep, and anybody who is located in Toronto who is interested in viewing uh, We Are Visible, 
you can shoot me a message. I am going to be hosting a community screening of Karina's film once the pandemic is over. So what's coming up next for you, Karina? I don't really know. Um, I would love to make another film, maybe with you, Jason. <laughs> and um, I definitely want to write more about disability and chronic illness. And I might even try to get into a PhD program um, for disability studies. But we'll see. Those all sound like great ideas. And I am definitely supportive of your idea of making a film together. Where can people go to learn more about your work? I have several websites. One is kind of my journalistic portfolio. It's uh, karina-sturm.com. And the other one, it's the film website. It's we-r-visible-film.com. And I also do have a German blog. Yep, and you can find links to all of Karina's work, including her social media accounts, in the description below. Karina, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I've got several episodes in the works, so make sure you subscribe to Discomfort Zone on my website, discomfort.fm, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. You can also find older episodes of the show there, where I explore my own chronic illness journey. This show was produced by myself, Jason Herderick. Audio engineering by Justin Meriden. Editing help provided by Melanie McPhail. If you'd like to get in touch with me, send me an email at feedback at discomfort.fm. My handle on social media is dzonepodcast. Until next time, take care.